basically, we are, we are created for connection. We're created for connection. You know, actually, the very DNA of the universe is all about connection relationship. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the ultimate relationship. The coming together of the two is the very, very roots and basis of everything. I've never known anyone who succeeded at love and failed at life. We need love and connection to live. Now, this is not about marriage. Whether you're married, divorced, never married, we need love to live. We are made for connection. We are created to be for connection. I found myself in thinking about this, uh, coming across, bizarrely, the Scientific American. And uh, I'm not a scientist at all. I was miserable at school when it came to science. Most of science was spent setting fire to things and Bunsen burners and all those things. I can't remember anything of any use. But the one thing I did pick when I was reading up this stuff is the remarkable reality of the importance of, of, of social co- connection. And uh, there's, a, there's a sort of pyramid thing by a guy called Maslow that once says that basically all we need is oxygen, food and water to live. But increasingly people are saying, particularly those involved in the sort of neuroscience of things and the study of the brain are saying that actually our brain is affected by the whole issue of our social relationships. So being left out of groups for long periods of time causes actual effects on the brain and the performance of the brain. Disconnected people are between two and five times more likely to die from any cause than people who are rooted in community. And low social connections had an increased mortality equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Of course, we know the government are sorting all that out for us anyway, so that won't be an issue for us. But uh, the reality is um, that it's a serious thing. Disconnection, if you like, brings stagnation, but connection particularly connection with God and others, brings flourishing. And it is one of the best, yes, challenging features of being a follower of Jesus. The fact that it's not just about me and my relationship with God, me and what I want for me. We become part of this thing that is not an institution. It's not a service. It's not a, um, a Sunday thing. It's a movement. It's a movement created And headed by the one who made each one of us. And he invites us, as we read in this passage, to join him in his body. It's a remarkable thing going on here in verse 12 where it says, It's a living organism, this thing. You have not joined a club here. It's not something, an extension of our lifestyle choice. What you've done, it says that when you become a follower of Jesus, you become part of a body. You become part of Jesus. And Jesus becomes part of you. Isn't that amazing? That for whatever we do and wherever we are, we become part of Jesus himself. So even when we gather together, we're we're, we're with Jesus. And Jesus is in and part of every aspect of it. What an amazing movement we're part of. And it's really important we say that because very often when we talk about church, we talk about it in an institutional sense. We talk about it in a building sense. We talk about those things. As if if we don't watch out, it's like I'm part of a club. It's something so much richer that we are connected into. It's something that is so beautiful. Now, current in the front here, we've got Pepe's um, pastor, all right, and his wife. 
and he's got his son and his family as well here. They're over here in London. They've, been, they've done Europe in about three weeks. They're absolutely crazy. And they are beautiful, wonderful members of the body of Christ. Fortunately, they're having some translation. Nancy's doing a great job there. I haven't got a clue what Nancy's saying, but anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm believing it's positive. But the point is that she is translating. But the fact is, they don't understand any, some of them don't understand anything of what I'm saying, but they are part of the body of Christ, whatever the language is. Isn't that an amazing truth? That they are in Jesus as much as I'm in Jesus. That is what Paul is saying. The church is a beautiful thing. And it's a place where we know real connection. Now, on the way in, you should have got a puzzle piece, okay? A bit of puzzle, all right? Just want to say for those who are really into puzzles, I got it from a charity shop down the high street, and I don't want it back, all right? Because I've had one person already worried, that, do you want it back? So that I might have to rebuild this thing. No, all it is, just to say, the picture itself is nothing of meaning to me. It's a picture of some sort of town in Croatia, all right? Which for some reason someone bought and obviously didn't enjoy it and put it back in this charity shop. <coughs> so I bought it from there. I don't want it back, okay? But this is your puzzle piece. I want you to hold this, if you like. It's going to help me as we rock through this passage here. Because when we start digging into this, and if you have got your Bibles uh, or you've got the Bibles in front of you, please do use that because we're going to go through this. I want to just lob out a little bit of an advert here. Have you ever thought about bringing your own Bible to church? It used to happen a lot in the old days. I don't know, but we started to do it less. I'm going to invite you, okay, to start doing that, all right? And then bring a pen as well and write all over your Bible. You can do that. Do you know, it's, it's I'm saying, it is a book, all right? But it's a living book, which means you can write all over it. Well, I think you can. All right, so I encourage you maybe to consider bringing your Bibles, okay? The bigger the Bible, Josh said the other day. No. <laughs> Anyhow, but they, <laughs> of course, when we get to heaven as well, you know, uh, you could use an electronic version for some of you youngsters, and that's fine, but I don't believe your phone will get into heaven. So your Bible will, all right, as you go in there. But there you go. So let's rock our way through these passages. Some amazing stuff in here, so much, and it could go on all day, and I want to have sharing communion, which will be a a tremendous picture of what we're doing. So we're looking at uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, and uh, we're we're looking from verse 14 onwards. He says this, firstly, what does this puzzle say? It provides some principles. Firstly, we are distinct and yet united. Verse 14, distinct and yet united. says this thing, and so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We are one but we're also unique. You know, unity and diversity are good. Some of you will be, uh, you know, uh, for example, part of an organization or a group or a team at your workplace or whatever. And you know what we mean when we say university and diversity, when they work together are good. When there's a unity where people are coming together on the same goal and the same direction, it's good. But you don't want to also prevent diversity. You want the individuals within it to flourish and be all they can be. A good organization that's working really well, maybe some of you have worked in that, and maybe some of you aren't sure whether you're working in that at the moment, whatever. Unity and diversity are amazing. In a football team or a sports team, when there's a a unity of purpose, things happen. 
And yet you don't want to quash and squash the individuals that can play. Now, I'm not talking about the England rugby team at the moment. Frankly, watching them, there's no unity or diversity going on there at the moment. We win, but only just. And it could come to a crashing end very soon. But unity and diversity is a powerful and wonderful thing. And that is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that um, you are the body. It's not, made up of, it's not made up of one part, but of many. There's a uniqueness. Someone said this. If unity is emphasized at the expense of diversity, we have uniformity. That is not good. If diversity is emphasized at the expense of unity, we have anarchy. That is not good either. We need to celebrate unity without demanding uniformity. Unity and diversity, diversity in unity. One of the things I'm loving at the moment is we are growing in what that means. We're united in Jesus. We're united in him. But there is a diversity of people from across so many different backgrounds. My dream is... My dream is that that this will be a place where that is allowed, where we have a central goal, a core, but we're bringing all our diverse, unique, brilliant and beauty into the midst of that. That is what Paul is saying there. The potential of it is massive for us, but we need to hold to that united goal of what we are together and not what we're differentiated by. We need both. For this is crucial for us. And this is the little ditty I'm going to give you today. Next phrase, God has placed you to live out his purpose together for his pleasure. All right? He has placed you to live out his purpose together for his pleasure. Because even though we are united and yet distinct, secondly, each piece is vital. No one is inferior. We move on in this passage to these amazing verses about here, about Now, if a foot should say to a hand, and a hand, and a foot, and a body, and all this stuff, and if the eye should say, because I'm not an eye, I did not belong to the body. Do you read all, when that's coming in, it's like, he's going, he's talking about all these different parts of a body. They are vital. No one is inferior. You know, it's this, you know, it's so, it's a crazy thing. He's saying the danger is we can think we're inferior. Like, I wish I was a hand. I'd like to be a hand, rather than, you know, my foot, which is stuffed in one of those. You know, I feel like I'm inferior. I'm not one of those. Paul is blowing that open and saying every single part is important. You know, people look often in church and say, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's great. He, he's the one who's really important. He's the one up on the stage. And I'm just the inferior one stuffed in a shoe in the back. And we, he's saying we've got to break that open. We're all the same before Jesus. He came to us in the same way. And each piece is vital. It's not more or less a part of the body. And then he goes in this crazy, crazy picture that does my head in. In verse 17, he says, imagine we were one big eye or you're all a bunch of eyes. Imagine looking out here, all a bunch of eyeballs. Have you thought it? If you've seen the Disney Monsters, Inc., it would be like that. A whole load of eyeballs. And well, what would happen? You roll around the thing and you pick up dust. It would be horrible, wouldn't it? But he's saying this crazy view. It's, well, if they're all eyeballs, it would be dreadful. It would be terrible. But he's saying everything is important. The smaller pieces in God's puzzle here are called, called the church are important as the more visible ones. No one is inferior because everyone is indispensable. The church will never function as God intends because ultimately God has placed you to live out his purpose together for his pleasure. Because he goes on. Each piece is specially designed and perfectly placed. 
And we need to grab this truth. He says here in verse 18, these beautiful, beautiful words. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Isn't that an amazing thing? God, number one, has chosen us. John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. You have been made for a purpose. You are loved. And there will be people here who are not sure about that. Who are not sure. They feel like they're an accident. God is saying in that moment, he's saying, I, am, I have made you. You are sovereignly in place and you are sovereignly part of the body of Christ. I love the way it says every one of them. No matter how you feel, however inadequate. Josh mentioned it earlier. You know, you know, you think, well, I might have done things or I might have said things. I'm disqualified from being a full part of the body of Christ. He's saying, that's rubbish. I've made you for a purpose. Every single one of you. And actually, he's saying it's vital that you play your part. Because if the church is to be all it can be, to bring transformation to the community, we need everybody to be their part of the puzzle. Their part of God's big picture. Because God has placed you to live out his purpose together for his pleasure. And within that, no one is superior, but everyone is essential. Verses 19 to 21, it goes on to say about not demeaning people, saying, oh, you're just, you know, I don't need you. You're just a, you're just a pointless part of the body. You know, we don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable. Isn't it interesting? In the weak places, isn't it? God says that in the weak places, my power will be made perfect. Could it be that actually the weaker the seemingly uncool, the seemingly on-the-edge people in the life of the church are where God is doing the most. It just came to me there. And yet so often we look at the people who are competent, who've got it, who are sorted. They're the ones. And the challenge is how do we, how do we really allow that to be part of God's bigger picture, his puzzle? You know, we were made to reflect his purposes. Each one of these puzzle pieces, a thousand picture of this beautiful part of Croatia. They're all made differently. And we're all different. We all bring what we can. There's, been, there's never been anyone like you before. And there'll never be anyone like you again. <laughs> and the point is we're all different, which is great. Wouldn't it be disastrous if it was a whole church of Andy Rimmers? <laughs> It'd be a lot easier for me personally. But the point is, if it would it be disaster. We need everybody in who they are and what they bring. It's absolutely gorgeous. I heard this story of a sea captain and his chief engineer, and they were constantly arguing about which of them was the more important to the ship. And because they couldn't agree, they decided to swap places. The chief engineer went up to the bridge, and the captain went into the engine room. A couple of hours later, the captain ran up to the deck of the ship, covered with oil and grease, as he wildly waved a monkey wrench. He yelled, Chief, you'll have to come down to the... The, the, the engine room, I can't make her go. To which the chief replied, of course you can't, I've run her aground. <laughs> Our contribution is unique and we need to work within that. Our role is essential, what we are seeking to do. And he goes on to say, verse 22 to 24, the fascinating bit about those that are in a weak place, those that, that need 
covering up, those that need supporting are important. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, the unpresentable. In a similar way, the pieces of the puzzle might be that you say, I couldn't stand up the front and waffle on like you, Andy. I couldn't be that person who leads a group. But you know what? I could pray. Or I could, you know, I can do that. Or I could help out in 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 a quiet way. Whatever. And actually, it's vital that we, we do that and we step in to using our gifts because we are that beautiful part. Because ultimately, God has placed you to live out his purpose together for his pleasure. Finally, verse 24, he says here, he says in verse 24, um, these, these uh, words, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. God has put together the body. And what he's saying here, that ultimately what we're called to in verse 25, is that there should be no division in the body. He's saying we need to be promoting unity. That our primary desire is always to bring unity. You know, we're not into wanting to gossip. We're not into wanting to get the latest thing and saying, oh, this isn't gossip, I just pray about it. You know, we don't just, we don't get caught up in that. Because ultimately we're called to unity. Now, unity is not unity for unity's sake, I might add. Unity has to be based in truth. It has to be based in something that is certain. But we're called to promote unity, he says here in verse 25, and then goes on in 26 to say about mutual care. If one part suffers, each part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, everybody rejoices with it. That point that we're looking out for one another. You know, we seek to do that the best we can by giving meals out, by phoning up people, by texting people, to trying to keep in contact people, to love people. That is body life and should be a natural thing to us. But we know we need to do better. We're trying to grow in pastoring and caring for one another better. We're trying to find ways to do that better. But ultimately, the best pastoral care is one another, looking out for one another, and understanding one another, and seeing one another is totally important. All parts of the puzzle are part of his rich picture for us. So whether you like it, I don't know whether any of you are puzzlers. Apparently, in COVID, the number of puzzle sets expand. Uh, you know, they, they literally, the number increased massively. Everybody got into puzzling, apparently. I didn't, but, you know, other people did. Um, but, you know, apparently the, the phrase, if you are a puzzler, you're called a, do you know what you're called? A dissectologist. You've learned something new today. That was free, all right? Dissectologist, that's what you're called, all right? And as a piece of God's, God's church, God has placed you to live out his purpose together for his pleasure. Now, when it comes to puzzles, I don't do many puzzles. We do from time to time. And we tend to sort of lay them all out there or whatever and, and do them. And um, there's interesting things you can draw from these different shapes because I want you to take this away and, and, and use it however you want to. Um, but it may be a reminder of that funny old bloke you spoke at some point on a Sunday. But it says this. Interesting thing, when you put a puzzle together, the first thing you do is you look, I do. Now, the really serious puzzlers don't do this. You look at the picture, all right? There are some puzzlers out there who go, no, you shouldn't look at the picture. You should not look at the picture. You should just, like, pile it up, thousand pieces that you don't have a clue about, and make it. Rubbish, okay? I don't get it. I look at the picture. We need the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is Jesus, we need that picture always before us. Certainly I do. But initially it's chaotic. And it must be said that quite often church life and body life is chaotic. 
Just like when you pour out the, 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 the things. And you know, if I look out on us, sometimes it, we can think, wow, it's quite chaotic, church life. But that's, that's, that's normal in the puzzle that God is suddenly starting to, to build and bring together. All these people with their different shapes and sizes. And you know what you do initially when it's chaotic? You, you, try, and, you try and actually find out the shapes, don't you? What do you look for first? The edges, okay? You try and find the edge. You try and find the, the boundaries, if you like, the sense of it. Um, and, and the fact is we're all uniquely shaped and wired up. But as you find the edges, I think sometimes that's a good thing. You're finding the boundaries. And, of course, the boundaries we have are Jesus and God's word. as the, the boundaries to what we do. And then the thing is you don't do as well. And this is the really challenging bit. You don't, I, I do, you know, you're convinced that goes in there. So you try and force it in. Do you ever try and force the puzzle in? And then you just got to go in there. I'm sick of this. No, I'm, I'm tired. And you try and force it in, don't you? And it doesn't go in. And then you look back and it's slightly wonky. saying, oh, whatever. But that's the challenge, isn't it, for us. We need to be helping one another to find our gifts, to find our shape and how our shape can fit into God's bigger picture. And work on each piece at a time. And the one thing as well with puzzles, you have to keep going with them, don't you? There's nothing worse than it sitting there half out on the table. And you can't do anything else in the whole room, can you? To all that sort. You have to keep going to finish it. We keep going. We persevere. That's part of what it means to grow God's church here. And then all the way along, we always refer back to the bigger picture. All the way along, every day, we refer back to Jesus. All the way along, we seek to do that. What does it mean in terms of application? Firstly, connect. Connect. I could have almost done this talk around this, but connect. If you are new to this church or you're finding out whether you like this church or whatever, and you want to be part of it, please fill one of these in. And we can connect with you. Just in a small way, you can find out the stuff that's happening and you can decide if you want to connect in. That would be really, really lovely. Secondly, we have a thing called Connect Groups, which are brilliant ways to meet people and grow and play their part. And I've got two people here, Amir and Mary, who are going to come up. And very briefly, I'm going to ask you a question about your Connect Groups. All right? Do you want to come up? Great stuff. Round of applause for these characters. (laughs) Particularly being being interviewed by me is always a scary thing. Do Do you want a microphone? Now, um, how long have you been part of this church? Go on, Amir. Uh, I'm nearly one year. So one year? Yes. One year, and? Well, I've been uh, probably about 30, if I thought Right, okay. So two very (laughs) contrasting people in terms of the time in the church here. All right? And you're part of a connect group, aren't you? Yes, I am. And how long have you been part of your connect group? Uh, About six months with uh, Anna and John Cole. Right, okay. What do you love about your connect group? Uh, is a lot of reason we can say is a connect group is a good for us, and one of the reason I like it because we want to, when we believe in Jesus, we save and we have a salvation. Yeah. And the second thing is we want to, uh, I mean, get similar him. Yeah. So when these things, when you want to uh, similar him, better knowing Bible, yeah. reading Bible, yeah. searching Bible, yeah. and connect group help me. For asking about the Bible, pray for me, worship, and I love it. Brilliant. And that's amazing. So you discover more, you're growing together, together with other people who are asking similar questions. Exactly. Fantastic. Yes. And what about for you, Mary? I've been in my connect group probably about 12, 13 years. Right, okay. 
And you still love it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's what, <laughs> what I find is that when you read a passage from the Bible yourself at home, yeah. you, you don't get so much from it as when you read a passage together yeah. with a group of like-minded people because they interpret things in a different way yeah. and you interpret things in a different way and you share the what you've gained from it Brilliant. together. And I find it deepens your faith because yeah. your understanding of the Bible is deepened. Brilliant. So your understanding helps to deepen your own faith. Fantastic. And also, obviously, of all the people in the Connect group, you know, you all develop together sort of thing. That's wonderful. Good. And you have fun together as well, do you, in your groups? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we had a um, uh, barbecue yeah. in summertime. Brilliant. And uh, it was fantastic. We share our problem. We pray for together. Yeah. We laugh. Brilliant. Even sometimes we cry together. Oh, that's good. No, it's <laughs> yes. brilliant. It's Wonderful stuff. Yes. I mean, the same with you guys? Yeah. We you don't have barbecues so much in yours, do you? Or do you? No, we vary it. But we always meet socially on the very last one. All oh, right, okay. And we all, you know, bond together. But the main thing is that if somebody's got a particular problem, yeah. you can pray together yes. with with them that's brilliant and that problem but you can see when they've discussed it with other people that they know yeah the problem suddenly you know is not a problem and the solution is clicked in the mind fantastic guys i couldn't have paid you i mean it's amazing <laughs> absolutely fantastic thank you so much appreciate that brilliant that is so helpful just that, that's what it's about. So connecting, connect group would be a second uh, thing. Thirdly, really, find your shape. Look, it would be amazing if people came up to me and said, look, I, I, you know, I don't know what, what, what type of thing I've got. And just to chat about our gifts and encourage one another into the gifts of what God is calling us to do. Because then we can lead you into areas of service. And I think sometimes as we serve, we discover fresh things, not just about ourselves, but about others and about God. There's something really powerful about the serving thing as well. So find your shape and do it. And then finally, invite others. Now, in the box, over there, we've probably given away about 200 of these today, uh, these, these, these puzzles. But it's actually a thousand-piece box. And what it means is actually there's another 800 out there. So what you need to do is take this home with you. You can stick it up somewhere. But think of other people that could be part. Could be a could be a you know another part of the jigsaw that is us. Have you thought about that? That's quite clever, isn't it? But it's it's true, isn't it? That actually determined to take that around and remind us of friends, colleagues, neighbours, whatever, and invite them to be part of this amazing family led by Jesus.